Welcome to the Project Update Podcast. I'm Joe Simpson. And I'm Dave Ramsey. How's it going, Dave? Doing really good, Joe. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. Let's dive into follow-up. So I have follow-up from listener me. Um, when I was listening back to the show last week. <laughs> Friend of the show, Joe Simpson. Yeah. When I was listening back to the show last week, I realized that everything that I said about Swift UI was wrong. Not incorrect per se, but I just used the wrong words in almost every context. Like I was calling property wrappers modifiers and modifiers property wrappers and just kept, I, like, I got all the jargon mixed up. I was using object binding when I should have been talking about binding and I was using observable objects when I should have been talking about observed objects. And just, it was just funny listening back to it. I'm like, why did I say any of this? <laughs> I don't think I got anything correct. So. Yeah, that's. It's okay, Joe. There are very few people who are experts in Swift UI right now because it's in beta. I think that's a good indication of just how jumbled all this stuff still is in my head. Yeah. Like there, there's uh, the environment, and then there's the environment objects, and I'm like, what? what? Huh? <laughs> like I, I use them both, but I don't really know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. like I feel like kind of like a cat driving a car. Like I'm making it go, but I'm not really aware of the consequences of my action. So yeah, that's follow up. I will try to learn this stuff. Hopefully, I'll you know I learn much more by doing and actually working with this stuff. So hopefully, as the APIs start to stabilize and I use them more often, I'll be able to call them what they're called. So if listeners have any follow-up, they can reach us on Twitter or uh, project-update.com slash contact. So I'm going to dive into my project update, which is pretty small this week. I really didn't get much done. Um, not necessarily for any reason other than just kind of lazy and distracted week. And then also combining that lazy and distracted week with uh, like professional procrastination where it's like i'm going to do these 50 other things that i've been meaning to do for a while as as a delaying tactic of doing this thing that i should be working on mm -hmm. and part of that is because i'm desperately waiting on a new xcode beta and it just hasn't happened like every day last week i thought oh this will be the day for sure they even released a new ios beta so now the ios betas are two betas ahead of the xcode version and Swift UI development on a device is pretty much undoable at this point. So it's like, what is going on with Xcode? So I've been working in the simulator where possible, but for the most part, it's just like kind of tapping the brakes and working on other stuff. Did a little bit of sales work and got caught up on some admin and finance stuff. And yeah, in terms of the actual project, um, I made a little bit of progress with the list view slash table view edit mode. In fact, I got all of that figured out and working. Um, I was basically using the APIs backwards. <laughs> and like, yep, that, like I, I posted on Stack Overflow and, and somebody posted an answer. And like, yeah, uh, switch these around. You're, you're using those in com the complete wrong way. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Again, pointing to my frustration with a lack of documentation because all all Apple has on these documentation is like, here's what it's called. See you in the fall, maybe. <laughs> so now I can toggle the 
list views into edit mode. So I haven't implemented the reordering stuff yet, but I implemented like a show and hide edit button to open the modal for editing. And that part is working once, just like last week, where I can open the modal for a list view record and edit it and make a change and either cancel the change or save the change. And then depending on where I put some of the modifiers and what order I call them in, I can either get the list view to break after that point where you can't toggle back into edit mode unless you leave and come back, or I can reorder the modifiers a little bit and you can re-enter edit mode and open the modal again, but no data will be there. So there's definitely some weirdness going on. Frustrated by the fact that I, I made a second project and re-implemented the entire thing and I don't have the issue in the other project. And oh. slamming my head on the desk. Does the it, diff tell you anything? I don't know. I was going to kind of rebuild it tomorrow. Um, okay. Like I even went through the version of my app and commented out everything that wasn't in the simplified version that I made. And the only difference between them is one is driven by a core data record and the other is just driven by a string, basically. Like I'm just passing a string to the modal. So I'm not sure if there's some disconnect with that. Um, but yeah, there's definitely something funky going on. Yeah, and unfortunately with Xcode, it just periodically happens. Yeah. Something changes outside your ability to see or edit it, something somewhere in some hidden file, and just everything stops working. Yeah, I've had that happen with storyboards before, but never with mm -hmm. just a source code file. Mm. Maybe I should just make a new file and re-implement one thing at a time and see what I can get working. But yeah, oh, I've definitely yeah. seen that with, with like storyboards where the, some property in the XML yeah. gets flipped, but you can't actually see it in the inspector or anything. I've also had it happen a bunch of times with um, uh, the registration and code signing stuff mm -hmm. so all of a sudden it'll just stop successfully being able to build an app nice You're like oh okay so time to make a new project <laughs> yeah so the good thing about swift ui is like i could if i needed to it's like the project was corrupted in some way i could just make a new project and just copy the code over one bit at a time because mm -hmm. um, there's nothing there's, it's not like regular Xcode development where you've got some stuff in code and some stuff in storyboards and some stuff in nibs and like inspected properties and plists, like stuff is just scattered all over the place with UIKit development. But with SwiftUI, just everything is in a text file. It's much more easy to think about when it works, if it works. There was a, a little bit of, oh crap, I hope this doesn't happen happening on Twitter where some people were speculating that maybe Apple's just going to leave Swift UI in beta this year. I'm like, don't, 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 don't say that. Don't do that. <laughs> like, I really don't want to go back to auto layout. Um, so hopefully that won't happen. So hopefully today we'll have a new Xcode beta and I can get back to productive work. But yeah, kind of a small update this week. Um, one thing I noticed about just myself and working on this type of project, we talked a little bit about 
you know how much I enjoy VR gaming, uh, some of the early episodes of the podcast. And when I'm working on something like this, I seem to have no capacity or desire to play a video game at the end of a day of solving problems like this. <laughs> like I'm just done and don't even want to think about that type of stuff, particularly because a lot of the games I play are, are very puzzle-driven games. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I've done enough puzzle solving and problem solving for the day. So it's just kind of a weird, like seasonal aspect of my hobbies where right now I'm just like taking it easy, reading some books, working on code. And then other times I'm working on, you know, maybe more boring projects, um, particularly like FileMaker work. And that's when I'm looking for something more intellectually stimulating at the end of the day. I'm not sure your brain can tell the difference between solving coding problems and solving video game problems. Yeah. And so it's just, your brain's like, I've been solving problems all day and it's been a blast. I mean, if we want to continue playing games, let's do it. But we we need a different game for a while. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Anyway, that's kind of my update this week. Um, Pretty short one, but what's going on with you? Uh, my week was pretty much all antler. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if we mentioned it last week, but antler, A-N-T-L-R, mm-hmm. antler.org, or another tool for language recognition. So I'm trying to write a parser for FileMaker calculation functions, uh, calculation definitions. And there were two major chunks to what I was doing. The first was just getting the stuff working. And that was complicated by the fact that there's two major versions of Antler and they're incompatible. (laughs) Nice. This is then exacerbated by the fact that there's kind of two components to it. One is a tool that generates the, that takes the code, the definition that you have handed it and turns around and generates a stack of source code files in your chosen language. And that's the code generator. And then you drop that code into your main project. But you also need a runtime that goes with it that is also version specific. Hmm. So I kept installing using one project's code generator with the other project's runtime. And it just doesn't even compile. And so I finally found a combination that works. Basically, the big difference is there's kind of an official version. And then there's the version that has really good Visual Studio support. And so I was like, okay, everything I'm reading says if you're using Visual Studio, use the Visual Studio version. The trick there is that that Visual Studio support appears to be Mac only. Like, they say it'll, or I'm sorry, Windows only. Hmm. They say it'll work on Mac, but I couldn't get it to work. Um, so I'm using little pieces and parts of various things. So I write the code for the, the definition in Visual Studio Code using a Visual Studio Code plugin that gives me syntax coloring for that stuff. So that's nice. I've got a very nice editor. Mm-hmm. I save it there. And then I go into the terminal and tell it to turn the definition into the source code. And then I go over to Visual Studio and work on the project that actually sends test cases and uses that new stuff. 
It's a little roundabout, but the key is it all works now. Nice. And there's a there's a lot that I can put up with if I can start making progress. It's kind of that portion of my brain that says, well, I can either sit here in traffic for two hours or I can drive for three, but actually be driving somewhere. I'll take the drive rather than sitting in traffic. And maybe not when there's a whole hour difference, but regardless. So, um, yeah, so that was a lot of fun. A lot of roundabout trying to read through blog things and and basically because they're two versions of the exact same project the names on them are basically the same so it's like antler standard versus antler dot standard or something like that and nice yeah my brain just starts breaking so you read very very carefully and make sure that all the names exactly exactly match and eventually i got it working and now that it's working i'm not touching it um and then it was getting into actually learning this language the definition language because as it as it builds the parser for you i don't have to worry about how to write the parser but i do have to worry about learning this language and this is a effectively a dsl a domain specific language think like uh html xml that kind of thing. It, it's a computer language, but it's very narrowly defined mm-hmm. in what it's there to accomplish. Um, <clears throat> so, and unfortunately, that's now the fifth language for this project, at least. Yeah. So there's HTML, CSS, JavaScript, C Sharp, and Antler. And then if you count them, depending upon how you count these things, there's also like XML and or XPath. So if you so, get if you get ten languages into your project, you actually get one free. Oh, oh! I, I thought that earned me a merit badge. <laughs> um, it earned you a headache, probably. So learning my way into this, and then realizing that basically I had an idea in my head for how this was going to work. Mm-hmm. And this happens all the time. You get the idea in your head, and then the all your first effort is in realizing all the places where the idea in your head was wrong. Mm-hmm. And so you're kind of offloading things that your brain had started preparing for so that you can get back to, okay, how does this really, really work? And simultaneously, trying to figure out how to work with that and um, uh, then working on the actual problem space, like these file maker calculations. Um, give you an example. I can say, uh, this particular function, say the replace function takes exactly three parameters, or I can say the replace function takes a list of parameters. Mm-hmm. And so every function that takes one or more parameters, I can just say, takes a list of parameters and that'll totally get the job done. Because I don't need to validate functions. I don't need to validate these things. Because the only way to spit out one of these calculation functions is for you to have entered it in FileMaker in the first place, and FileMaker already validated it. Mm-hmm. So if I depend upon FileMaker's validation, I don't need to do it. I don't have to worry about a replace function that just somehow shows up with six parameters. Except 
<laughs> of course. <laughs> I don't, this isn't the only project that I want, that I'm going to want to use this on. Because later I'm going to want to use this same kind of thing with FM perception in a later version to allow users to modify the XML. So they could make their own calculation functions in my software, which then needs to be valid before they spit it out and hand it back to FileMaker. So I could put that off for a while, but yeah. that doesn't mean that I don't A, have to figure out how to handle it, and B, know what I'm going to do and not code myself into a corner now that's going to kill me later. So in all likelihood, I'm just going to jump to the end and write a parser that can actually validate all of these things. That that sounds like that sounds like a very Joe thing to do. <laughs> you should maybe take the more d traditional Dave approach and just make the thing that you need now. Um, the trick is that the difference between the two is not that large. Uh, yeah, that you are also sounding like me. <laughs> <laughs> I can have this done in a week. Well, effectively, I can say the replace function takes a list of expressions mm -hmm. or I can say the replace function takes either three or one and then an unlimited number of pairs using that bracket notation on the replace function. Mm -hmm. And so there's basically two possible paths that the replace function could go. Um, and again, the difference between those two is not very big. So if I can do it all at once, that's great. There's also the fact that all of this becomes more complicated once I'm supporting multiple languages. Because yeah. I'm actually going to need to, like in FM Perception right now, it knows the names of all the FileMaker calculation functions in all the languages. But it doesn't actually pay attention to which word, which 11 words go together because they're actually the same function in different languages. And so I'm only going to make my job harder if I do that explosion before I've actually captured all the depth. Then I've got to edit 11 times as many rows <laughs> when I go in later to add the additional complexity. I'd rather do it all now. Mm -hmm. Get the thing done. Maybe. <laughs> the real biggest problem that I'm bumping into right now is white space. Um, in the overwhelming majority of languages, not all, but most, white space is irrelevant. Yeah. Effectively, when the parsers go through um, a, a chunk of code, the first thing they do is throw away all the comments and all the white space. Because they're irrelevant. You know, there's no difference in C between 1 plus 2 and one space plus space two. Mm -hmm. um, whereas there are certain situations in a FileMaker calculation where the white space is important. Like if you used a field name with a space in it. I can't just throw the space away and go, nah, it's the same thing. It really, really isn't. <laughs> and so most of the examples are like, oh yeah, here's how you get rid of white space. Yeah, I don't want to get rid of white space, guys. <laughs> Some of it I can ignore, but that's later. Right now I need to retain it all and in some cases use it 
So, um, yeah, that's going to be fun. Um, but again, it, it's mostly just, okay, I think this is how I do it. And I'll try it. I'll try it half a dozen different ways and all of those don't work. And then I will dig way, way further into documentation and books and stack overflow stuff and go, oh, the, oh, and every single time I have one of those O's, it's not just, oh, this is how I should do this thing. It's, oh, my entire way of thinking about this concept was categorically wrong. <laughs> like I was, I wasn't even asking the right question much less going about the answer the right way. Yeah. So, a lot of fun. Um, there was a conversation that I had at DevCon with one of my, uh, let's use finger quotes, competitors. Mm -hmm. uh, great guy, a lot of fun. We get along, I think, quite well. But he was apparently enjoying the podcast because he was listening to all the trouble he wasn't going to have to deal with because I was. <laughs> nice. Just like, no, 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 we'll just let Dave do that. No, 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 we'll, we'll wait for the full DDR, thanks. Yeah. Because <laughs> that sounds crazy. Yeah, maybe a little bit. You're the R&D department for your competitors. <laughs> um, so the really cool part will be, and this is, this is really in the realm of like a, a weird fantasy thing. When I get this all done, and I've got a really cool, really functional FileMaker calculation parser. One of my weird little code fantasies is when I get this all done, I'd like to take the end result parser and like hand it off to an engineer at FileMaker and see if somebody can, can integrate that and run a test to see which one is more performant. Mm -hmm. Because on one side, a hand-coded parser can be faster. And that's what FileMaker's got. It's a hand-coded parser, but it's also got like 20 years of organic growth behind it. And I don't know if that means that in the end, it's still really fast. Or if it can be made better by just using a machine-generated parser. But if they can try it out and it works better, then great. Um, then again, we don't really parse calculations all that fast. I mean, yeah. all that often it's when you, when you enter the calculation, FileMaker parses it and stores the parsed version. So it doesn't need to do thousands at once, except when you're turning XML back into a system. Mm, yeah. So that may be nice. Cause at that point it has to parse all the calculations in the entire system. So yeah, I wonder how maybe. it's going to deal with that. Like if it finds, invalid calculations in the xml what does it do does it just comment them out like we you have a, mm. like a bad import yeah or how about just one inscrutable error message that just says bad xml format and just moves on mm. they are owned by <laughs> apple <laughs> so um yeah so really just playing around in this weird space the other thing about um that I've kind of noticed about domain specific languages is with normal programming languages. If you learn one, it can help you learn the next one. Mm -hmm. Like you learn some C you're pretty good on objective C or C sharp. Like there's still a lot to learn, but it doesn't look completely alien. 
Um, but even then, if you learn some C, you're going to have an easier time learning Swift. Mm-hmm. And if you learn some Swift, learning JavaScript is not all that rough. Learning HTML does not help you learn Antler. <laughs> learning Antler does not help you learn XML. <laughs> like, or, or maybe you have to get so far into it before you realize the similarities between the domain specific languages, but they're, they're very weird languages that don't have to be all things to everybody. They just have to be one thing and mm-hmm. do it well. And so they're just, the differences between them don't lend themselves to helping me do it. Nice. So, yeah. So that's really my thing. I'm going to, that's my thing for the rest of the week is working on that and starting to build it out. And, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Wee. Yeah, mostly this week I'm just going to be kind of working around the issues that I have now rather than working on them and just kind of working on some other interfaces and, you know, just trying to make myself make progress on parts that I can while I wait for the next beta to hopefully solve some of my problems and or better documentation or, I don't know, like the, the problems that I have now with the app are things that I could design my way out of if necessary. Like if I just mm-hmm. can't get these modals working the way that I think they should work, then I cannot use them and use something else like a popover or just a regular show style segue, but just don't really want to do that if I don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not even trying to do anything weird. I'm doing I'm basically doing the exact same interaction that Apple has in the Reminders app where you hit the edit button in the corner, the rows tap to edit mode, you tap the little I button, and a modal view pops open, and you can edit things. Then you can hit done, and it goes away. That's it. That's all I'm trying to do here. And it, it's just got a ton of issues with it. And I, I can do it in UIKit with all of the stuff that that brings along with it. Like I have all of this working in that UI kit version of the project. But uh, I don't really want to go back to that if I don't have to. Do you want me to scare you badly? Sure. Um, watch out, because sometimes the thing that you are sure is a bug, Apple is unconvinced of. Yeah. Um, there was an app that I had in the App Store. I think technically it's still there, but um, that I had in the App Store. And between one iOS version and the next, they changed a little bit about how URL opening happened from inside an app. Mm-hmm. And this was not the big one where you had to pre-code all the, all the uh, domains or whatever. This was before that by a couple of years. And so all of a sudden it took on like a 10 second delay. And I'm like, hey, this is a bug. This doesn't work. Here's my sample code. This is bad. And basically they just kept going, nope, we fixed it. It's all good. Bye. And I'm like, it's still broken. <laughs> like, here's the sort, here's the project. Just open the project and run it. It doesn't work. And it, yeah, it's still broken that way. Yeah. Because it's not broken. Because um, what Apple really wants is a slightly altered format of one of the parameters. Basically, it's sending in like an empty array instead of a null. Oh, okay. Send a null, 10 second delay. No use to work. Now, 
Null 10 second delay. Empty array works great. Hmm. But it's not really documented anywhere. Yeah. Um, and so if they think they've got it right, maybe they won't fix the thing. Hmm. Um, eventually, so the other thing that could happen is instead of Apple releasing a fix, it's somebody else figures out whatever weird notation you need to be able to fix it. Yeah. And like four years later, Mike Burgey found the answer to my problem. <laughs> nice. Which was too late for me to care anymore. Um, so there's another issue that I'm working my way through. And I think I'm just going to fix this with how I'm implementing this. But I made my color picker two weeks ago. And then I made the icon picker last week. And they show up on the same screen where I want them to. Um, so you have... The color picker at the top, it's usually one or two rows. There's only 10 colors and then 101 icons to pick from. And I want those two to be in the same kind of like picker region where you're selecting a color, changes the color for the item. Selecting an icon changes the icon for an item. But you could scroll up and down those things as a whole. And I have them as separate components now, basically separate views where I'm using... You know, I made a color picker view and then I use a geometry wrapper and pass some geometry calculations to that view to tell it where to draw itself and how many columns to give itself. And then I do the same thing with the icon picker, but the icon picker just wants to lay on top of everything else. Even though it it's in a list, in a vertical list it should, or a vertical stack, it should be appearing right below it. There's something funky happening that's causing it to just draw over everything else. But if I use just one of them, I don't have this issue. So I'm thinking I'm just rewriting both of these or making a new one that is, instead of taking an array of objects to create this artificial collection view, I'll take an array of arrays and then just use sections and just make one big collection view for all these calculations with two different arrays. That's an exceptionally scalable answer. Yeah. I mean, it, it won't matter if you dramatically increase the number of colors or the number of icons. Everything will just grow as necessary. Yeah. Without having to worry about any kind of the weird white space issues between them or yeah. overlapping or anything. So yeah. I think that's what I'm going to do. Um, it feels like it violates something. Actually, I had this idea from a, a video I saw on YouTube is somebody basically just taken, you know, sectioned arrays or arrays of arrays and used uh, vertical scroll views to basically make a list view with vertical scroll mm -hmm. views. So they could have like a list of pictures going off to the side. You could scroll side to side, but it's still scroll vertically in the list. So basically I'm doing that, but without the horizontal scrolling. Yeah. I, I don't really need the horizontal scrolling because we have tiny little, you know, 40 point images instead yeah. of, you know, big photos so yeah it'll be interesting week trying to figure this stuff out i just want a new beta <laughs> and i'm not alone so you hear that all our all our apple listeners uh get to get that new beta out mm -hmm. new xcode beta let's be specific yeah new xcode beta no more ios betas please <laughs> i'm full <laughs> really i couldn't <laughs> I couldn't possibly. Well, that's our show for this week. We had kind of a short one, but it was 
just that kind of week. So thanks for listening. If you like the show or want to support the show, then recommend us on Overcast or leave a review in iTunes. And please tell your friends.